Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn Church. Uh, Grateful to gather with you. Happy Easter to you guys. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and we are excited to be able to worship with you today. Whether this is your first time gathering with us uh, or you've been gathering with us for a long time, we're just grateful that today we get to be together. God's brought us together to be in this place to worship him to remember and celebrate the fact that Christ did not only die on the cross for our sin, but was raised again. And so we're thankful to be able to do that together this morning. If you need a Bible, if you just raise your hand, uh, we're going to have a group of people bring Bibles around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of God's word this morning. So just keep your hand up uh, until they find you. And if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift this morning so that you can take it home, so that you can read God's word throughout the week. We believe God's word brings change and transformation to your life as you understand who God is and you understand who you are in light of who God is and what his word says. My family uh, recently moved to a house in the city of Fairfax. We live just off of Main Street, and there's a lot of things that are not fun about moving, but one of the things that I think is particularly fun about moving is you get to set up a new place. You get to come into a home and, and kind of set it up the way that you want to. And, and the cool thing about a house, when you really think about it, is when you're looking at your house, setting up your furniture, hanging things up on the walls, is this is the place that you're going to live as a family It's where you're going to spend a lot of time hanging out with each other, hanging out with other people, eating, sleeping. It's an important place. And you can learn a lot about a person when you walk into their home. You you can walk through the door of a house and maybe that person's not even there, but you can tell a lot about them by the decor of the house, by how the furniture's set up, what the home looks like, what it smells like. You can kind of get an idea of the people that live there without even seeing those people. The actual dwelling place of a person tells us a lot about them, tells us a lot about the people that live there. Well, one of the things that we learn through the Bible in the scriptures is that God has a dwelling place. When we look at the Old Testament in particular, we see that God first, as he created humanity, dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then after that, he dwelt with his people in the tabernacle or tent of meeting. And then after that, he dwelt in the temple that was built by Solomon. And much happened in the temple of God. In this place and all that it entails, like any house, it tells us a lot about who resides there. It tells us a lot about God. Well, today, like I said, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our God and King. And as we do that, I want to look at a text in the book of John, the gospel of John, specifically John chapter two, where Jesus comes into this temple of God. This temple has been built and Jesus in this particular moment walks into the temple. It's a normal activity for someone who's Jewish for them to walk into the temple of God. But this particular time when Jesus walks into the temple on this particular day, it's anything but normal, anything but ordinary. And it's in this moment, in the place where God dwells with man, that Jesus says something that changes everything for those who heard him that day, but also for you and for me right now. So let's pray this morning as we get ready to open up God's word and ask that he would work in this time today and help us to see him and to know him. So let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that today we can gather together as your people in this place And Lord, that you've given us your word to open up and to read it and to understand who you are. And so I pray that that would take place this morning. 
I pray that you would open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds today to receive your word that you've given to us. And that, Lord, that through that, this morning, right here and right now, you would change us. So, Lord, we pray for your spirit to do that work. I can't do that on my own power or abilities. Anything I say or do or anything we do together as a church, it's only by the power of your spirit through your word that that change can take place. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to John chapter 2. John is the fourth gospel. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. So go ahead and flip over to John chapter 2. Starting in verse 13, the apostle John writes this. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. There are several things going on in this text that I want us to pay attention to to get the details of in order for us to understand what's going on here. John tells us that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem at the time of Passover and Passover is the celebration that happened every year. It's a celebration that God had consecrated for his people to celebrate, to remember the fact that he had freed them from slavery in Egypt many years before. And they, so every year they celebrate this time of Passover. It's a celebration of deliverance. It's a celebration of God's grace on his people. So many people, when they're celebrating the Passover, would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem Because in Jerusalem, that's where the temple of God was. The temple that had been built by Solomon dwelt in Israel, was in Israel. Now, this wasn't the temple that Solomon built that had already been knocked down, but a new one had been constructed. And so people would travel to Jerusalem during this Passover festival. And they would oftentimes go to the temple to make sin offerings because that's what God had instructed them to do in conjunction with the Passover celebration. So Jesus is there not to make a sacrifice for sin, but to worship God and celebrate his grace to his people. And all that takes place in, is embodied in the temple. So that's where Jesus goes. But before we get into what Jesus says and what Jesus does, I think it's important for us to ask a question this morning. And that is, what is the temple really? I mean, what's the purpose of the temple of God? Well, last week we were in a series, we've started a series here at Sojourn, preaching through the Old Testament at a high level, trying to see God's plan and story unfold in the scriptures. And Alan preached last week out of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we learned that all humanity, every single person in all of humanity, because of the deception of Eve and the disobedience of Adam, is marred by and completely affected by sin and rebellion against God. Every single person that ever has lived and ever will live is affected by sin. Sin is trusting in something more than God. Sin is trusting in something other than God. 
At its core, it's a rejection of God and his good commands. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They chose to worship themselves over worshiping God, to follow themselves instead of following God. They thought they could be like God. See, sin is not so much about doing wrong things, though wrong actions flow from this sin-tainted and jacked-up heart that we all have. The reality of sin, though, is that it's, a, it's about creating and worshiping false gods. And that can be anything. It could be ourselves. It could be other people, our children, our spouse, our friends. It could be things. It could be pleasure. It could be literal false gods or the universe or stars. Anything that replaces God. When we worship anything other than the creator, then we do what Adam and Eve have done. And that is the result of and the reality of sin in our hearts. But see, God is gracious and he's loving. He desires to dwell with his people. He created humanity that he might dwell with them. But because of the sin and rebellion, as Alan showed us last week, he cannot dwell with his people as he once did, walking with Adam in the cool of the day. Because God is completely holy. And because of sin, he cannot be in relationship with sinful men and women that would compromise his holiness. And God is also just, and sin must be dealt with. But in the midst of his holiness, in the midst of his justice, God continues to be gracious. And out of his grace and his love for those that bear his image, he made a way to dwell with his people, yet remain separate from them. And so he created a new dwelling place. He called his people first to build this tabernacle, this tent of meeting as they traveled through the desert. And then Solomon, the son of David, was charged to build a temple in Jerusalem where the glory of God would dwell. And the people could come and commune with holy God. Through the administration of the priest, there was the most holy place in the temple. And once a year, the high priest could go into that place representing the people to God and God to the people through this priest. He was dwelling with his people, yet separate from them. Worshippers of God would go to this temple to make sacrifices for sin through the priest. But it was something that had to be done over and over and over again because people continue to sin over and over and over again. And the details and the decor of the temple communicated a lot about God. They communicated his holiness. They communicated his beauty and his purity and his transcendence. As we saw, see all these decorations of the temple around. And we see everything that's going on there. But in the midst of all the transcendent pictures of God, the bigness of God that we see in the temple, we also see a picture of and learn that God is still imminent. He still desires to be close to his people. And so we need to understand all of this in order to really understand the weight of what Jesus says and does. The temple is the place that man can commune with God and God with man. And so then we pick up in verses 13 and 14. It says the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. The people coming to the temple would often travel long distances and it would be pretty much a a hassle to bring an animal along with you that you were going to sacrifice. And so what they would do is is when they got to Jerusalem, they would purchase an animal for sacrifice. And so we have all these merchants selling animals for sacrifice. 
At the same time, there was certain coinage that needed to be used at the temple in Jerusalem. And so people would need to exchange their money, just like you and I would need to do if we went to a foreign country. But what we have to note here is these merchants and money changes are set up in the temple. They are inside the temple court doing business with people that are coming to the temple. And it's that that Jesus is not pleased with. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. I mean, you can imagine quite the chaos that's going on here. Jesus puts a makeshift whip together of some kind of, whether it's fabric or something, he puts this together and he starts driving these huge animals. I mean, these are oxen, sheep, big animals out of the temple. It would have been chaotic birds flying around. He flips tables over that are full of money. So there's coins clanging and rolling all over the ground. And, and just as a side note, not to think that Jesus is totally out of mind. He's not literally whipping the people, okay? This is to drive the animals out. But still, you might think, what in the world is going on? Jesus, I mean, this is crazy. Why are you so upset? I mean, this is an intense scene, a normal activity for people to come into the temple. And all of a sudden, there's animals running all over the place, coins flying everywhere. What is going on? Well, Jesus is upset with what's become of the temple of God, the meeting place of God and man. This is his father's house. And it's being used in inappropriate ways. This is not just some house. It's not like me. If I come home to my house on a summer day and I find some kids sitting in my driveway or on the sidewalk in front of my house selling lemonade and cookies. If I go and I flip over their table in front of my house and say, take these things away. Do not make my house a house of trade. That makes me more of a jerk than anything else. But the reason is is because I'm not God. Nothing about my house communicates my inherent holiness. Nothing about my home communicates that I deserve worship. But the temple of God does exactly that. The temple is holy because God is holy. The presence of God dwells in this house. Now Jesus cares greatly then about the holiness of God. He cares greatly about the purity of the worship that was taking place in the temple. That's what he's most concerned about. It's not the fact that they are selling animals. That's okay. It's the fact that they're doing it inside the temple. A place of worship and reverence has been turned into a circus of commerce. So this picture of Jesus is not Jesus, meek and mild, carrying a lamb, walking barefoot with a nice, long 1970s hairstyle. This is Jesus who is Lord who cares greatly about and takes seriously pure worship of a holy God. Now you can imagine Jesus has done all this stuff and the leaders, the religious leaders who are running this operation are not too pleased with his actions. He has literally upended their operation. So they say to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? I mean, these leaders are ticked. They're surprised. They're annoyed. They're perplexed. They're angry. But notice something. They have to recognize something going on with Jesus. I mean, why not just hunt, handcuff the guy and kick him out the door? Take him off to jail. There's something about Jesus that they stop for a minute. Instead of throwing him out, they take him seriously and ask him a question. They ask for a sign of authority, essentially to say, who do you think you are? To come into a place like this and do things like that, you must be someone special or think that you're someone special. So show us that that's the case. Jesus responds, 
I can imagine the room at this point still in a bit of chaos, focusing in on this man who has just caused all of this chaos as he speaks clearly and slowly. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now I can imagine almost a complete silence falling over this place. Jesus has made a bold statement. This is not simply a bold statement, though it's a magnificently and monumental, monumentally significant statement for him to make, but the Jewish leaders don't get it. They say to him, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? They're saying, wait, what? What, did, Did I hear you right? What are you talking about? How could you possibly say this, let alone think that you could actually do this? But if we step back a minute and think at face value, they asked for a sign from Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, I'll give you a sign. If you literally destroy this temple and I literally raise it up again, then that certainly gives me authority over its practices. But there's obviously more to what he's saying. And John helps us out. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. What's going on here? What, what's going on in this moment? What we have to see is, what we have to understand is, is that the temple, the sacrificial system that had been put in place were gifts of grace so that man could commune with God, but they were always meant to be temporary. See, there needed to be a greater sacrifice. There needed to be a greater temple because all of these things, the actual physical temple and the sacrificial system can never bring eternal life. They can never bring complete restoration between God and man because even the priests who were offering the sacrifice on your behalf were sinful. So the sacrifices had to happen over and over and over again. God could dwell with his people yet needed to remain somewhat separate from them. But that was never his intention or plan for it to remain that way. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God had a plan He's saying, I'm going to send my, time, my son at the right time so that you're not just people in relationship to me. You're brought into my family. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, and the word, and John's are talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God dwells in the temple, but now the Son of God has come to us to dwell among us and reveal God's glory to humanity. He was sent to do that, to make a way for humanity to be reconciled fully to God. Jesus came to be a new temple, a better temple, the true temple of God. But Jesus knew what he had to do in order for this to be a reality. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Jesus knew 
He knew in this moment in the temple as he is driving people out and he gives this sign to this people, he knew exactly what he came to do. He came to willingly lay down his life as a substitute for sinners to defeat sin once and for all. But Jesus also knew in that very moment that he would take his life up again, rising from the dead and defeating death. Jesus knew what he was saying. Jesus knew what he came to do. And he knew that this would be the thing that would ultimately and finally bring people to God. He would be the true and better temple and the true and better sacrifice. See, I think what had happened in this time with Jesus and these people that are gathered in the temple, selling animals, exchanging money, is these people had gotten comfortable with temporary solutions. And these temporary solutions had slowly over time been distorted for personal gain. But there's a problem with temporary solutions. They're temporary. They're insufficient. They can't fix or solve any problem that a person has. These people had put their hope in religious activity. And in the midst of putting their hope in religious activity had lost sight of God. They're coming into the temple of God, sensing the presence of God all over the place. But they had missed God in this. Missed knowing him and being known by him. But Jesus comes not to bring a temporary solution, but an eternal solution. Jesus came to replace the entire temple and its system. He says in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Not another building, not another system. God himself in human flesh has come to dwell among us as one of us to rescue us. In a few short years after making this statement in the temple, Jesus would be falsely accused, have a bogus trial, be condemned to die a criminal's death, and be nailed to a cross. See, the sign that the Jewish leaders asked for was coming about. They were destroying the temple of God. But Jesus went to the cross for the reason that he and the Father had determined and decided before the foundation of the world, namely to rescue his people, to bring his people to him. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion against God, Christ came and he died for us so that he might bring us to God. But that wasn't the end. Three days later, some women went to the tomb of Jesus and they found the stone that had once covered the door to the tomb of Jesus had been rolled away. And as they peered inside, realizing Jesus was nowhere to be found, his body wasn't there. Could it be? Could he have risen from the dead? Indeed, he had. He appears to his followers after that and soon after that to a larger crowd of people. Jesus had risen from the dead. He was alive. The temple had been raised in three days. But why did he do all this? We can look throughout most of the New Testament and get a grasp on why Jesus did this. But two texts in particular, two scriptures in particular. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death and sin came through one man, but life and forgiveness of sin come through a better man. And then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might might bring us 
to God. Jesus brings us to God. Jesus brings us to God fully and finally by paying for our sin completely and entirely. We can have life now because he is alive. See, Jesus fulfills the whole purpose of the temple. He has become the dwelling place of God with man. He is the once for all sacrifice to God for the sin of the world. He does everything that the temple could only do temporarily. He brings us to God. And through this new dwelling of God, through Jesus, we can now know God rightly. Just as if you walk into a home and you learn a lot about a person, just as you walk into the temple and learn a lot about God, if you want to know God now, you know him through Christ. There is no other. See, when Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, he redefines everything His resurrection is a validation and a declaration that all of God's redemptive and restorative plans find their yes and amen in Jesus. He's always been the pinnacle. He's always been the goal to bring humanity back into a right relationship with God. Religious activity doesn't bring you to God. Being a good person does not bring you to God. Jesus brings you to God. See, the temple was a picture of, tempor- of a temporal thing. In fact, in every, uh, 70 AD, it was destroyed completely. And it could always and only provide temporal peace and joy. See, the Jewish leaders missed Jesus in all this. They missed him in seeing the temporal purpose of the temple. And so this morning, I want to say to you, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him in the midst of seeking to follow God or know God because the only way that you can know God, the only way you can be brought into a right relationship with God is through Jesus. But I think we're a lot like these Jewish leaders. In this life, I think we're prone to settle for and prone to be satisfied by less. We're prone to settle for and be satisfied by temporal things, putting our hope and our peace and our joy, seeking it out of these temporal things. Maybe it's religion or self-help, relationships and family, lives of license and leisure, riches and recreation, achievements and accolades, the acquisition of more and more things. But what we find over and over again is that none of these things give lasting peace, joy, or satisfaction. And so when they disappoint, and they will, we numb ourselves with food or TV, drink or prescription meds, relationships, Sex, social media, pornography, more work, more play, more distractions. But hear this this morning. God gives us his best. And God gives us his best by giving us himself. That's the end result of the good news of the gospel. The good news that we celebrate today is that because Christ died for our sin and because Christ was raised to give us new life, we can know God now and be fully known by him. No more shame. No more hiding. No more pretending. Fully known and fully loved. Jesus comes as the new eternal temple and provides eternal peace and eternal joy and eternal satisfaction as he brings us to God. He gives us and allows us to have right worship now from a changed heart. And the good news about all this is you don't even have to dress up to come to God. You don't have to dress up physically to impress God. You don't have to dress up spiritually to impress God. You don't clean yourself up to come to God. Jesus has clothed you now in his righteousness. 
And it's by his righteousness alone that you can know God. You can come into the most holy place now and call God your father. See, Jesus is alive and that changes everything. There's no need for priests. There's no need for a temple. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord and he has risen. And Jesus didn't come. He didn't die. He didn't rise again just to teach us some good things or give suggestions on life. He came to dwell among us as one of us to rescue us, to call dead men and women to himself, freeing us from the bondage of sin and death and giving us life and freedom now and forever and bringing us to God. Jesus is Lord. Sojourn, this is amazing news that we celebrate this morning, but we don't just celebrate it this morning. We celebrate it every Sunday as we gather together as God's people. We should celebrate it every day because Jesus is and continues to be alive. He is, it always will be, Lord. We can now live with no fear in life or death because Jesus is alive. And now this resurrected Lord, the King of Kings, stands with arms wide and says, come to me. Believe in me, trust in me, turn away from your sin, turn away from the empty promises the world is selling you. In me is rest, in me is joy, in me is peace, in me is hope, in me is life. And there will be troubles in this life. There will be difficulties in this world, but Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome and I will come again. And I will rule and I will reign forever and ever. And I will make all things new. At the end of this section of John chapter 2, John writes this about the disciples in verse 22. He says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus spoke amazing words. Jesus did amazing things, but he did all that so that you might believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, in order to have a life now through him and forever. Scripture tells us if you desire to know God, it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so my question for you this morning is, do you need to call on him? Do you need to call on him? Acknowledge your sin and your need for a savior this morning. Ask him to save you through Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I implore you today, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Turn away from sin and turn to Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus because no one has paid for your sin and risen again but Jesus. So if you need to place your faith in Jesus, do that today. Believing he is who he said he is and he did what he said he came to do. But we need to know that faith is not just a convenient thing to do in order to hedge your bets. Jesus is calling you to himself completely. He wants you wholly to lean on him. So if you need to trust in Christ today, will you do that today? Will you turn away from your sin and turn to Christ in faith, believing that he is the better temple of God? He is the better sacrifice and that through him you can know the living God. For those of you that are followers of Christ already, that believe that Jesus is alive, that he has risen again today, will you trust in, will you rest in the reality of the resurrection of the risen Lord today? It changes everything for you today. 
Because in him and through him, you have peace in this life. You have joy in this life. You have satisfaction in this life because Jesus is alive. Will you rest in that this morning? Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews says this at the very end in verse 23 of this amazing section. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. Man, we can see that if we hold fast to our confession that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, we can rest in that and trust in that because he is faithful. He is risen. He is risen indeed. On the night that Jesus was betrayed to be crucified, he was having a meal with his disciples and he took bread and he gave it to the disciples and he says, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup and he gave it to them and said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As you come forward this morning to take communion, eating the bread and drinking the cup, remember, you do not come into the presence of God flippantly. You come only by the blood of Jesus and the power of new life given through the resurrection of Jesus. The holiness of God has not changed And his presence is still the most holy place. But the better temple has come. The better sacrifice has been made. Christ died so that we might live. And so as you eat the bread this morning, as you drink the cup, be refreshed in the depth of your soul today. Christ is risen. And that is amazing grace to you and to me here and now. And if you're not a follower of Christ We just encourage you not to come forward to take communion because for us, this is a declaration that Jesus is alive, that all of our hope is in him. And so if that's not true for you yet again, I want to call you to trust in Jesus today. But instead of coming forward to take communion, we want you to take Christ. Just hang out in your seat if you don't yet know Christ. Pray to God. Ask him to save you so that next week you can come and gather with us as a brother or sister in Christ and take communion with your new family. Those of you that will come forward to receive communion, you can come forward when you're ready and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. And you can take it immediately or when you get back to your seat. This morning, we are going to have communion stations uh, in the front here and here, but we'll also have two in the back And so if you're kind of halfway through the crowd, you can either go to the back or the front. But go when you're ready, take it, and you can come back to your seat. And we will respond in worship together today because Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We praise your name today that we can gather together as your people Lord, we thank you that we can even call you Father this morning because a better temple has come, a better sacrifice has been made. So Lord, we pray today that you would help us, if we already know you, to rest in the reality of the resurrection of the risen Lord. Lord, help us to see that that anything else we put our hope in in this life, anything else we seek joy in in this life is always going to fail us because it's temporary, it's fleeting, but you will never fail us. And the testimony of Jesus' resurrection is testimony to that. Lord, help us to rest in that, to celebrate the fact that Jesus did not just die for us, but he rose again for us. Father, I just pray again that those 
who are gathered with us this morning that don't yet know you, who have not repented and believed in the reality and the truth of the gospel, Lord, that you would give them ears to hear and eyes to see today that Jesus is real, that he did die for sinners like them, and that he was raised again. Draw them to yourself, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray as we continue to sing of your great grace and love that you would draw us into your presence to worship you from our hearts and with all that we have for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.